It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Bulletin. Well, well, gentlemen, we've got on this morning as old school radio sport. Uh, was uh, on the Warriors' sideline for years uh, when Alan Mack was calling the games. You'll remember this fellow, Dale Budge. He is uh, a terrific man uh, and when it comes to uh, broadcasting in New Zealand. And I'm sure that uh, he's very excited about the prospect uh, of uh, the Warriors and the Knights tomorrow night at Go Media Mount Smart Stadium. Good morning to you, Dale Budge. G'day, Smitty. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Can't wait. It's been a long time before yeah. we had a NRL playoff game in New Zealand, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you were back uh, during the, you know, a previous era, uh, era of uh, the Warriors, and uh, we're just talking uh, a little earlier about fan support. Sell out, sell out, sell out, sell out. I mean, this is just uh, something I, I guess you'd have dreamed of back th- back in those days as well. Yeah, it was pretty special. I, I was sidelined for uh, the 2008 playoff game um, against the Roosters the last time that New Zealand was, you know, was hosting an NRL finals match. And there was a, a similar kind of buzz, maybe not to the same degree we've seen, you know, this sort of captured the whole the whole country sort of got behind the Warriors this time round. It was it was more just, you know, the hardcore following back then. But the place was packed out for that finals night and, you know, been lucky enough to be sidelined at Eden Park when that's been full as well for, for all black games and, and, and cricket matches and they're both very special places, but I think for some reason the natural amphitheatre at, at Mount Smart, it, it almost, and you know, the, the fans are closer to the action there. It feels like there's more people than there actually is. So I think in terms of atmosphere, um, but the players running out, I just the thing that sticks in my mind from that 2008 game was as the players walked onto the field, the Warriors came out that night, and the crowd sort of went berserk. You could actually feel the energy, and I don't mean that, you know, as an analogy, I mean, it, you, you literally felt the wave of people getting up, the, the vibration of the crowd, the noise, the, the hands clapping. You actually felt it sideline. Um, it felt like it hit you in the, in the back of the head standing there. It was yeah, a pretty special night to be part of, and very, very jealous of all those that are going to be on there um, tomorrow night. It'll be a, a pretty special occasion, and, and here's hope the Warriors can, can put in a good result. Budgie, uh, you're a Sean Johnson fan, I know, and I guess no news is good news coming out of the camp. Uh, we're going to use it that way anyway. Um, Sean Johnson back in the mix this week, and how crucial that? Oh, absolutely. Look, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying the Warriors couldn't win without Sean Johnson, but it's, it's a lot more challenging if they don't have him guiding them around the park. I mean, he has been the linchpin. He's had um, you know, a phenomenal season, absolutely back to his best. You know, in the twilight of his career, a lot of people thought he was he was done, and at times, I mean, even I thought he was, you know, on the, on the downward slide last year, and, and you know, not in his best form, had injury concerns, and um, it's it's been a revelation. He's had a phenomenal season. Um, I think for the first time, really, the first time in his career, the Warriors have put a roster around him that's balanced, that's given him the weapons that he needs to make him be at his best. You know. I'm sure the talent is always well. The talent was certainly there in the younger days. I think it's always been there all the way through. They just haven't found the, the right way to get the best out of him, and I don't know that he's ever found the, the right way to get the best out of him uh, himself until till now. And um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to look once the judging um, is, is announced for the year. 
if you forget all the, the points listed, if you just go by gut feel, who's been the best standout player in the competition this year, uh, for me it's been Sean Johnson. Okay, so this is the first game of rugby league that this squad has under Andrew Webster, which means if they lose, there's no tomorrow, okay? This is the first time it's absolutely been cutthroat. How do you think they're going to react to that, this squad? Yeah, it's a really, really good question, mate. I think, um, you know, this has been a a terrific year for the Warriors, but it would finish on a a pretty sad, deflating note, I think, if they were to go out in straight sets. you know, last week, you give them a bit of a pass, mate. They were better than the scoreline suggests. They played against a really good side that played great against them and didn't allow them to, to play well and obviously had, had concerns with Johnson missing. This is the crunch game. They have to win this, I think. They absolutely have to win it. Otherwise, you feel that it, it's been a bit of a letdown after everything they've achieved. The one game that really matters, this is the one. They've got to get the, the win here. If they do that, they go on next week and whatever happens beyond this week, I, I think you give them a serious, serious pass, Mark, but they've got to get the result tomorrow. And it won't be easy. The Knights are riding a wave. You know, they've won 10 straight. They're playing some really good football. Um, I, I like the Warriors in a grind. Uh, I, I just sort of, I think the Knights are not a grind team. It's actually a little bit of, goes against what they've traditionally been over the years. Um, they, they can score points in a hurry. Um, they did so against the Raiders. The Raiders was a better team last week for the most part of that game. But there was about a 10-minute period there where the Knights went bang, bang, bang in quick succession. And when they get that roll on, they are a dangerous side. Ponga's electric. He's one of the most you know elusive players in, in the competition. He can break a game open almost single-handedly. So even if the Warriors are up by, by 10 points at some point in the game, you never feel that they're going to be safe against the side. So they need an 80-minute performance. They need to be somewhere near their best. Do the fundamentals right and... Um, you know, bank on the things that have got them to this point, the things that have made them have a successful year, trust that in a, in a big game and, and hope that the, you know, the 25, 26, whatever it is, thousand people um, mm. understand that. No, I hope they can uh, help bring them home if it gets real tight. Like, just a little bit further south uh, is another uh, part of the country where you've had a heavy involvement with, and uh, they had a special result the other night. Counties Monaco beating Canterbury in the NPC. Uh, what did you make of that, Budgie? Uh, yeah, that was pretty special. It doesn't happen very often, Smitty. Um, I think uh, 2016, uh, the Steelers had a win over Canterbury, a very rare win, and, and prior to that, you'd have to go back to the, the 1990s, the heyday of London and New York. Since the Steelers have tasted victory over Canterbury. So, yeah, it was it was a tight game. You know, looked up at half time. You felt when Canterbury went and scored a couple of tries in the, in the third quarter of that game at the hour mark, 12 up. That you know they would they'd kick on and, and you know take a comfortable victory. We've been there so many times before in that scenario, but there's a little bit about this. There's a lot of resolve. There's a little bit about this. This county's Monaco side. It's it's homegrown. Uh, they made no secret of the fact that they're going to pick local boys. We've seen a renaissance in terms of crowds coming back and people hanging around in the lounge watching. You know their brothers, their their cousins, their work colleagues. Their, you know people that they know and have an affinity with. And it, maybe it doesn't necessarily translate to winning on the field immediately, but I think. It's starting to show that there is a culture there, and that culture breeds success. People want to be playing it. So, um, yeah, you just sort of felt when they got themselves into into it with the last ten minutes, you know, within within a converted drive of the game, they were a chance, and uh, it was uh, yeah, certainly pretty special seeing uh, Blake Markley score in the corner, and then Tamita Wilson hasn't been a regular goal kicker at all this season. He's very much third string goal kicker. Um, his club side actually got a win in very, very similar circumstances in the club final when, when his teammate Lorenz Thompson 
uh, kicked a similar goal with the time gone. And, you know, it was basically a one-point ball game. It goes over, they win the championship, if it misses, they lose the championship. And So for the, the two of them that have come through together to have consecutive goal kicks and clutch moments where you, you basically the outcome of the game rides on their boot, um, and both of them deliver. They look calm. You just, you just felt for the moment he picked it up, he was, he was going to kick it. And sure enough, so he had a pretty special night in the lounge afterwards. It's, it's fair to say. Well, if uh, the, the feeling stays and grows, etc., then I, I guess uh, County's Monaco won't have to worry too much about going away for their home games in Pukekohe Stadium. But of course, that is happening now, uh, Budgie, at NPC level, and we're seeing uh, what Auckland play Waikato tomorrow at the Bell Park in Pakaranga. Uh, Wellington are going, have been to the Hut Rack for a Shield Challenge. They're going to the Jerry Collins Stadium for another one. Uh, what have you? Uh, what do you make of that? And you know the importance and where NPC Rugby sits and where the Rugby Union perceive it sits. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, a talking point, hasn't it? I mean, um, the, the comments from Mike Robinson really at the start of that competition that you know that it's no longer fit for purpose. It, it certainly drew the ire, I, I, from what I can see, of, of the provinces and and the people running the provincial game. I mean, this is still vitally important to me. Yeah, you touched on it. Yeah, Counties Monaco sits in between Blues and Chiefs. Uh, periods of our history we've been part of the Blues in the early heyday there when they were successful. Then they've been part of the Chiefs ever since. Yeah, there's more Counties Monaco players currently and, and for the last few years at, at the Blues organisation than they have been at the, at the Chiefs. So it's sort of stuck in the middle. We don't really know which way you go um, in, in terms of that support. Um... Yeah, I think provincial rugby plays a massive part in our game, and it should it should continue to do so. You know, places you're from the Hawks Bay, places like Hawks Bay, Taranaki Bay, are plenty. That's that's too big not to have professional rugby. You know, we, it's all well and good saying, "Oh, the Hurricanes can take a game there once or twice a year," but you need your own team. And and I'm not sure whether you know if we can't afford to fund what is it five super super franchises plus Moana to a degree, and then 14 provinces. Yep, maybe 1920s too many, but. Um, to me, the old MPC First Division, Second Division, Third Division had something right about it. We had the automatic promotion relegation. You drop down, all you have to do is win the next year to come back up. Maybe there's some way of, of factoring that into what the future looks like uh, at professional level. But you know, we, we, as I said, we've seen a renaissance in our region the last couple of years because we've picked local. And, and now there's been a little bit of success on the on the field. Look, it's only a small amount of success. One win is not going to change the whole outcome of, of the way that the union is run, but they currently hold a, a playoff spot. If they could somehow maintain that over the next couple of weeks and, and make the playoffs, it'll, it'll have an impact on uh, on the sport in the region. And, um, if all the other franchises, all the other provinces around the country did something similar, where it was really like you're picking your boys to take on those highlights from over the hill, I think it plays on our parochialism and our heartstrings and what we've known for 100 years, more so than what Super does. So... Um, whatever the future holds, I don't have all the answers. I know, you know, there's a lot of people sort of questioning where rugby's future is at the moment, but I, I hope that we don't go away from the provincial game, which has been the backbone of, of um, our society to a degree for the last hundred years. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I'm very concerned about the future of it. Not so much uh, the future for uh, Liam Lawson, which looks uh, pretty bright, uh, Mudgy, uh, because of the fact that he's um, got a drive in Singapore. Got a drive in Singapore as well, and uh, prospects look very good for him. And in fact, motor racing's had a hell of a year. Uh, we are in, you know, the most successful period in New Zealand motorsport history. I mean, the 60s, yeah, I remember Dad talking about the 60s and the impact that the Holmes, the McLarens, the Amons had in establishing New Zealand as a powerhouse of world motorsport. I mean, the fact that the McLaren name 
lives on as one of the, the giant brands, you know, in, in the modern era all these years after Bruce McLaren started it in, in his uh, Rimuera workshop. Um, you know, it, it, that, it was a very special era, but I think this one tops it. When you look at what our current crop of athletes are doing, and Liam Wilson is just the last one off, off the uh, the last cab off the rank at the moment. I mean, he's a, a phenomenal future in front of him. The word is that everywhere you, you, you look, the whisper is that he will have a full-time drive in Formula 1 next season, which is which is phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, the Singapore story's neat. You know, he talked about his dad wanting to take him there all these years. Singapore was his favourite Grand Prix growing up and obviously fairly close to in terms of you know, geographically getting to from New Zealand. Singapore was, was one that, um, you know, that he wanted to go to and, and it never happened. So he's, he's managed to get his dad to go over and watch and be part of it. And I, I think this is, you know, it's a bit of a free trial for him. He's got nothing to lose. But in the game, he's done a great job already. And, um, you know, I think the drums are beating, you know, for him to have a, a full-time drive next year. You know, you can compare that to what other... Kiwi Motorsport stars are doing, you know, Formula E, I mean, not something super motorsport, but, you know, the, what, what, um, the, you know, the two Jaguar factory drivers next year will be, will be Kiwis. And, and even in Cassidy, you've got Scott Dixon still, you know, people, leaving people shaking their heads and just how talented that guy is, how he can do things that no one else in that category. That's become a, IndyCar's become a really, really competitive category in, in recent seasons. You know, again, just another phenomenal, um, you know, season from, from Scott Dixon in the title fight. Um, and it looks like he'll be in the title fight for the coming years. And, you know, the, the next crop coming through too. McLaughlin was obviously knocking on the door at, at you know, championship level this year. Marcus Armstrong wins rookie of the year. You know, we are, we are uber-talented. And that's before we even get to Shane Van Gisbergen. We are indeed. Um, and, yeah, Shane Van Gisbergen, well, that is an interesting one because uh, here's a bloke who just seems to hop into any car and any kind of event and uh, be a big, big factor in it. He's, he's not quiet. He's, uh, he, he's, uh, he's very outspoken. He uh, doesn't hold back on things to the point where some people think he's just a little bit too over the top there. But here he is uh, signing to uh, perhaps the biggest sporting car uh, event in uh, the United States, and that is the home, of course, of NASCAR. Um, we're probably now going to get, because we've got a vested interest in it, get a, a real scope for just how big NASCAR is. It's massive, honestly. I don't think we do have a uh, full understanding or appreciation of how big NASCAR is because we haven't had a connection to it until until now. But um, you know, NASCAR really makes it, it, you know, IndyCar powers and significance compared to to where NASCAR's at. Um, you know, there is uh, some genuine global interest in that more so than there is in, in IndyCar. It isn't a North American series, but it sort of transcends that in terms of wider interest. And um, you know, Van Gisbergen, you, you talk about how talented he is. I remember Roland Dane a couple of years ago saying that he'd be the most gifted driver on the planet if you had to pick one driver who was able to hop into literally any kind of car and be competitive. Shane Van Gisbergen might be the guy that, that you'd choose. That's a big compliment over Max Verstappen's and the like. Shane's too big mm. to probably make it in Formula One in terms of his, his physical size. He's quite a tall guy putting into a single-seater car is actually really challenging for him. Probably doesn't work in Formula 1, but the talent's not because of a lack of talent, that's for sure. And you know, to, to go over on his debut and win on debut and see Korea NASCAR stars just shaking their head in disbelief, um, yeah, he is something really, really special. And it's going to be interesting to see. Next year will be a bit of a learning curve for him. That The deal is a, very much a development deal. He'll drive a little bit of everything. There's multiple different levels of NASCAR over there and you get a taste of all three and 
uh, sort of familiarise himself with some of the circuits in America and the style of racing. Uh, but expect, you know, come, come 2025 that uh, Shane Van Gisbergen is someone very much in the mix to, to win an NASCAR title, which um, which would be pretty special. Cool. Dale Budge, fantastic to, to catch up with you um, and uh, get your thoughts on um, a cross-section of uh, sport this weekend. Warriors, by how many you feel? Well, yeah, I think it'll be tight. Yeah, I, I, I rate where the night's going. I think, you know, Johnson's going to have to play and the, the Warriors need to play well. Um, yeah, I've got it on a knife edge. Uh, I think the home crowd maybe helps the Warriors out. They get there by two, but I think it'll be absolutely close. Oh, God, if they get there by two, I'll need a defibrillator, mate. Uh, it's been great uh, talking to you. <laughs> Honestly, great talking Sorry, to you, sir. Budgie, after, after all this time. So uh, look after yourself, and thanks for your time. Look forward to catching up again soon. Appreciate it, mate. You too. Thanks.